I've had clients that had table-based HTML apps using vanilla JavaScript, not sure where to go from there, how to make a mobile app out of it. And so I've had to come in and tell them things like, okay, well, first, this is GitHub. Let's put all of your code in there. (laughs) And then had to spend a few days, you know, wrangling in that, being pushing companies outside of their comfort zone in some spots. It's been kind of a variety of different things. It really has varied from project to project. You're listening to Working Code. And now your hosts, who wish they were Boolean, so the next time they're wrong, it's only by a bit. Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 120. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing freelancing with Nolan, Eric. Eric? Eric? Eric. How do you pronounce Eric. Eric? Okay. I should know that. I've known you for a long time. But uh, yeah, so we have a special guest today. Nolan, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. But first, as usual, we'll start with our triumphs and fails, and then we'll learn a little bit about Nolan and who he is and why we're talking to him about freelancing. I guess it's my turn to go first. So I'm going to start us off with a fail. And my fail is that uh, recently I was watching a a YouTube video about uh, lion's mane mushrooms from a science channel that I particularly trust and respect. And they were talking about the benefits of it. And I was like, Well, I clicked on the video to watch it because I was like, yeah, 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 I I wanted to to look into that. And I I watched the video and I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I already ordered some of this. And I looked in my Amazon history and it was like six months ago I ordered this thing. I'm like, I'm I'm pretty sure I haven't been taking it. (laughs) Whatever happened to that? Did, Did the order not arrive? Maybe that's why I forgot about it. No, the order arrived. It's right here on my desk. It's been here for six months. I just forgot to start taking it, which probably is a good reason for me to start taking it because it's supposed to be good for memory. So <laughs> that's my fail. Nicely done. Do you remember like, like, I want to say it was like two years ago, there were all these news reports coming out about people receiving random seed packs from China. Yeah. And there no. was all this concern that they were trying to like, was this some sort of biological warfare? Was it some sort of weird scam? And nobody had any really good understanding of it. And I think like a year later, Someone did some in-depth research and like actually called different distribution companies. And it turned out that they were just super backordered because of all the pandemic stuff and the and the supply chain issues. And it just happened that people suddenly started getting orders months and months and months after they had placed the order and no one remembered that they had actually yeah. placed those orders. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> it's good times. All right. Well, that's about I guess enough about Lion's Mane Mushroom Extract. How about you, Ben? I'm gonna go with a triumph which uh, I've talked on the show previously about studying the Hotwire framework. And uh, I feel like I'm at a point where I can actually start to apply that in a real-world scenario. So yeah. my yeah, my my plan now is to see if I can upgrade my personal blog, which is written in ColdFusion, to use Hotwire, which is an umbrella framework that encompasses Turbo and Stimulus. And uh, it, you can't quite just like drop it in and have it all play nicely because you have to kind of migrate things, but I, I think I have a plan for essentially installing it, but but keeping it relatively inert and then being able to pinpoint targeted updates of portions of the site to start using that technology and then kind of just migrate it page by page and, and section by section. But uh, I'm pretty excited about it. You know, like I'm 90% excited about it just because it's something new to try, but the, I think the technology is pretty cool. So so, where yeah. on your site are you planning on using it? Like the only thing that comes to mind for me, at least public facing would be the, like the comment section. Yeah. The whole, I mean, the whole site can use it because part of what it does is, is it just does page rendering via the fetch API. 
Mm-hmm. So as I as you go from say page to page in the application, it will intercept those clicks, load them via fetch, and then essentially hot swap the entire body. And the the underlying philosophy there is that most of the latency when it comes to page navigation comes from reparsing and reapplying style sheets and JavaScript files. That the HTML itself is actually like that's the browser's bread and butter, so to speak. It can do that instantaneously. So if you can take out just the portions that don't have to be necessarily reevaluated, doing the HTML should be a lot faster. I mean, I say a lot faster in quotes because, you know, it's, it's, it's not a static site, but it's not mm-hmm. that far off from a static faster site. Faster than it's a not, full page reload. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're talking probably millisecond difference, but okay. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still yeah, keen to try it. I, I just thought of the, the typical blog session, the way that I interact with a blog typically, which is, uh, you know, I land there from Google, I read the thing that I want to read, and then I click back. A thousand percent. That's going to be what the, what, what the, the primary use case is. And and if there are people who click through to other articles and stuff, yeah, it's, it's like almost more for my own edification Mm -hmm. than anyone else's. And then the reality is if you think about something like the Google page speed tests, like that's all about initial loads and nothing Nothing that I'm doing here has anything to do with initial loads. It's all the kind of the subsequent navigation. So there's no there's no benefit, I don't think, from like a lighthouse score perspective in any way that I can think of. But again, it, it gives me a real world context in which to to try it, and then I think come up across uh, up against the hurdles and the hardships, and then figure out how to solve those problems. And then in that learning, I think I could more readily take it and apply it to something that's more like an application and less just like a content site. So Cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. I'll, good to I'll have work. a personal project where you can try new stuff. You know, I might bring it up again on a, on a future show, so we'll see. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's only been on every single one for like the last nine weeks. <laughs> so that's me. Carol, how about you? Oh, I'm going to go with the giant win, you guys. So in about eight weeks, I'm moving, which means I have to get like my house ready to be out of it, right? So I'm going to rent this house out. And over this week, I have done so many projects here and gotten things done that I had just been back burner, like putting on the back burner and like, I'll get to it later or I'll hire someone to do it. Well, since I have free time now, I actually went into my garage, found my tools and did the work myself. So like, for example, I had ran Cat6 through the house. So like all the rooms have ethernet so you don't have to use Wi-Fi through the walls. So the holes behind all the desks, though, were just holes in the sheetrock. <laughs> now they all have boxes and they have pretty connectors and now they're cabled correctly and they're patched. And now they're just going to be touched up with some paint because I might have cut some holes too big, but that's okay. I know how I to feel, fix it I feel now. struck by that. <laughs> yeah. That describes yeah. my house to a T. I love it. So I've had a lot of fun just getting to kind of get my hands dirty and do things I've been not doing because I was working so much. And now that I have free time, I'm like, okay, I can just handle these things. And I really enjoy being hands-on with stuff like fixing my house, like replacing a ceiling fan. I didn't even know I knew how to do that until I knew how to do that. Now I do. So I did it. (laughs) Good for you. Very cool. Maybe this is a stupid question, but I know nothing about running wire. It, are, you, are you like you just like feeding it through the attic area and then just dropping it down in between the walls? Is that what is that what that entails? Yeah. So I have ubiquity. I know I've talked about that before with you guys, and I have a switch in my office. So in my office, which is where we're at right now, so I have an off my office. I put a four port box there. So I just ran four cables up 
into the attic and then four cables just hit that switch. And then from the attic, it drops into the four bedrooms. Mm, nice. So, yeah, so cool. if the house had been built with conduit, I would just drop it through the conduit and we'd be like, okay, this is where it's always going to go. Well, they didn't do that. They didn't really wire this house, you know, for efficiency and for future. So I actually had to go up into like the structure. I don't even know what they're called because I don't know anything about construction, but there's like a piece of wood in between the walls. I had to drill holes through some of the actual like two by fours mm-hmm. to get oh. into the the in-between sheetrock. The yeah. cross support. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've got like a giant drill bit that's like eight feet long. <laughs> you can, so, you yeah. do, so you can get to the little cross beam there yeah. in, the, in the middle of the wall. I didn't have to go that deep. Mine wasn't the giant wood. It was a small wood, but I got through it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So where are you moving to? Have you told us? Yeah, I have. I think I have. We're moving to Arizona. Okay. So we'll be at Fort Huachuca this summer. So I'm going to need to take a few weeks off, you guys, because the Army makes us drive. So it's going to be a week-long trip. Denied. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. No, you're going to have to report in from the road. It's a road trip, road trip episode. Yeah. After like six days in the car with a dog and my husband, you might not want me on call anytime. <laughs> you might want the break. Exactly. But that's me. What about you, Tim? What you got going on? So, you know, at, at work, you know, I, I mentioned earlier several times that how I enjoy like kind of building prototypes, you know, particularly like sales demo kind of prototypes. But I, I kind of hit a wall. Some of these APIs from from companies that we're trying to partner with, they're just, they're just, you need a level of expertise in them that, that it's really hard to get quickly and their documentation isn't necessarily geared toward what you're trying to do. So I've learned to outsource all the things. So <laughs> just, you know, like, like any good manager, you just start, you know, outsource your work, make yourself irrelevant. Yeah. So I've been talking to contractors who are familiar with these companies that we're partnering with and just saying, Hey, I'm trying to build a proof of concept. And I had several meetings with them and, and going good. I mean, the, the end result is I just want to be able to, you know, demo to people a working product, you know, at least a, a, a proof of concept kind of thing so we can get some sales in. But it's kind of kind of freeing just to, you know, make it someone else's problem. And, and they're like, you know, you pay them a little bit of money and they come back and they're like, here it is. And it all kind of works. So at least that's the plan. We'll say I might be crying about this in four weeks. So, but yeah, that's, that's the plan. Just, just outsource these things to some experts who, who know what they're doing and are financially motivated to get it done quickly. And then, uh, yeah, see what we can bring in. Okay. I think that's pretty cool. Has anyone here tried to use chat GPT to, to like have it generate anything of, of significance? No. I have. To, to, yeah. Today, I, you funny you mentioned that. So I got, I was on the waiting list for for the new Bing, which uses chat GPT-4. And uh, I told it to write a cold fusion program that works like Twitter. <laughs> How did it, it do it, with that? How did it, that I mean, it, did a, it just did a, bu- it did a bunch of comments and some functions that really didn't do anything. Didn't talk to any sort of, <laughs> didn't sort of t- talk to any sort of database or anything. It was all extremely general. So uh, it was about on par with your typical cold fusion programmer. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 Specifically, yeah. And specifically Shots mine. Fire. Specifically mine. So, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I've not had, a, other than that, I haven't tried to had it code for me. I've been using it occasionally to try and like automate figuring out complex command line stuff. So, mm. for example, I wanted, I had a whole bunch of Lambda functions that I wanted to apply a tag to. And they just all had a very similar name. Like they all had the same suffix. And I just wanted to like use the AWS CLI 
get a list of all the functions, pare it down to just the ones I care about, and then use that list of function names and the, and the ARNs from them, the ARN, to, to then send a command to apply a tag to each of those. And it didn't get it perfect, but it got me close enough that I was able to just like figure it out myself. And that the whole process took maybe like five, 10 minutes if I had started that from scratch to try and like figure that out from the AWS SDK and read the docs and all that. It probably would have taken me an hour or two. So stuff like that, it's been real helpful. There's actually the talking about building command line commands with the AI stuff. There's a new beta from GitHub. They have like copilot for the CLI and I'm, I'm in the, the beta for that, I guess. And it's interesting. It, it, it suffers from a lot of the same problems. Like it, it kind of just like says, here's what I think. And, and you have to, you have to be able to read it to understand, is that going to do what I want it to do or to try it? Is it dangerous to try it? So, but it, it, it's definitely helpful. So been happy with it. Yeah. It, it, I'm, I'm such a laggard in terms of my adoption of like anything. Yeah. It, it, I, I don't even have a chat GPT account yet. I, I'm like, it's going to be months, if not years before I think I'm motivated enough to sign up for something new. And I don't know. I just, everyone's so excited about it. I mean, it only, it only popped my mind because Tim's talking about having prototypes built and someone yesterday had pointed me to a thread on Twitter where some guy was outlining all the things that he had chat GPT writing for him and like how they were basically flawless. And like, anytime they had errors, he could just ask chat GPT to, to fix the errors. And it did. And I'm, I, I don't know. It just, it didn't sound like any of the work that I do, which is usually in yeah. brownfield applications and dealing with customers and, how do you have chat GPT, you know, determine customer requirements? Just, it doesn't seem like a thing, but anyway, I digress as I often do. (laughs) What you're here for, man. (laughs) That's it. It's the value you bring. How about you, Nolan? You got something to to throw in? Sure. It's been a full week for sure. I had a couple of triumphs and a couple of fails. I'll go with, I guess my favorite upcoming triumph. I'm getting a new car tomorrow. Oh, congratulations. That'll be my thing. Yeah, I am, I guess to use Ben's phrase, I am a laggard when it comes to vehicles. I tend to buy one car and keep it for many, many, many years. And I currently have a Honda Fit that I've had for 12 years. And it's doing the things you expect a actually 13-year-old car to do to where it's letting me know I'm not going to continue running forever and ever. (laughs) So I started looking around for something with a tiny bit more space to make it easier to fit band equipment in the car when I have shows with my bands and such. Fit, get it? Yep, exactly. Yep. There's no way around that one. I just kind of, I've said that sentence so many times now that it doesn't even hit my brain in the pun intended spot anymore. But I've got an uncle that is a big wig in the used car world out here on the West Coast. And he was able to find me a Toyota RAV4 for a really good price. And it's in transit from there, wherever they're getting their cars from right now. And supposedly I'll get it maybe tomorrow or Saturday. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Awesome. Buying new cars is, is always a fun thing. It's stressful, but then when it's finally done, you're like, yes, this totally. is fun. You get to drive something new and play yeah. with it and learn all the features. Yeah. I've bought every car I've ever owned from my uncle all the way back through when I was in high school. And oh, one of wow. the days I fear the most in the world is when he eventually retires and I have to deal with the real car salesman out there <laughs> to buy my next vehicle. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm such a laggard. I don't, we don't have any vehicle that's not over 10 years old. Oh, man. Do you have a backup camera? Huh? A backup camera? He doesn't even know what a backup camera is. What's a backup? Oh, Oh, backup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Toyota, the Toyota is a, is a 2020, the 2013, 2000, yeah, 2013. But it's 10 years old. It's got a backup camera. But yeah. And then I've got 
1986 pickup truck, which runs great. And then I got a, a 2017 truck. So, <laughs> nice. right, but no car payments, zero car payments. See, that's a win. Yep. All right. Well, right. So, Nolan, why don't you tell us about yourself? Who are you and what do you do and why are we talking to you today? My name is Nolan Irk. I run a consulting business called South of Shasta. I've been a full-time developer consultant for the better part of the last 15 years, writing a variety of web and mobile applications for kind of whoever needs one. And I also teach a fair amount of workshops on web development related topics too. Companies will call me and say, can you come teach our team SQL queries for two days or responsive web design or whatever the, the thing is. And I've been, for the most part, keeping myself gainfully employed for the last 15 years doing that just as a, an independent developer consultant. I say for the most part, because when COVID hit, there've been little blips of where just for everyone's sanity purposes, it's been easier to let a couple of clients make me a full-time employee so I can hang on to benefits a little more easily and that sort of thing. Yeah, but nice. while still doing it, at least for the most part, under the umbrella of my consultancy. And uh, we're here today because Carol pinged me the other day and said she was curious about how I've been doing this and how to make it work for something similar she's thinking of doing in the future. So, of course, when I got asked, do you want to jump on the podcast? I said, absolutely. There's, you know, anytime I'm down to get to hang out with all of you nice, fun people. Sounds like that was an easy answer, easy question to answer. So here I am. And Carol <laughs> always likes free consulting. So that's, that's what you're ultimately doing. You know, we just, you know, got you by saying a podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why you start a podcast to get yeah. your questions answered for free. Yeah. Right. But it, yeah, it's, it's free exposure, Nolan. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm that's sure how I pay my rent. I just, I go on podcasts once every month and money falls from the sky from that yeah. somehow. Your landlord's like, hey, I heard you in that podcast. You don't have to pay rent today. Exactly. <laughs> that's totally how the real world works. It does. Yeah. Sure. So you said you mostly do like web development, right? So do you do any like project management for people or come in and help like write technical documents or is the majority of your work day just writing code for already developed projects? It really has varied from client to client over the years. Sometimes they just need another developer on the team to do what project managers like to call staff augmentation, where I just come in and I'm the extra set of, you know, hands writing code for a few weeks or whatever. Other times they need someone to come in and do either project management or team lead type things where I'm, you know, helping organize developers, especially if it's a team that maybe their skill set is a little, little bit behind the times. They need me to come in and sort of maybe show them some better practices and get them up and running on a more modern stack of some sort, answer questions about why their app is, you know, not going to work on mobile devices or why it's insecure. Or I've had clients that had, you know, table-based HTML apps using vanilla JavaScript not sure where to go from there or how to make a mobile app out of it. And so I've had to come in and tell them things like, okay, well, first, this is GitHub. Let's put all of your code in there. <laughs> and then had to spend a few days, you know, wrangling in that, being pushing companies outside of their comfort zone in some spots. It's been kind of a variety of different things. It really has varied from project to project. And then other times, it literally is just me teaching people how to do something. Or I'll come in and just draw on a whiteboard for yeah. a while there were a lot like, of this uh, is how you branch right like yeah, this, this, is is a what, branch. this is how you use github yeah or this is how you write java i'm in california and the state of california moved their payroll system off of cobol and onto java maybe seven eight ten years ago so there were dozens of cobol programmers working for the state that needed to learn java enter the training company that contacted me and i would just kind of drive around to different state agency offices and teach rooms full of cobol programmers here's what a class does here's what an object does and and teach them how to do Java programming. And so, yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of everything over the over the lifespan that I've been running this company. You sound like a, quite a polygot programmer. I, 
I, I know very few languages, but you, you, you sound like you've got quite a bit of experience. Yeah, I guess so. That's another part of, I think, how to run a successful consulting business. I've always felt like if I had just, so I kind of have a bit of a name for myself in the cold fusion world. That's, okay. where that's what I was doing when I started speaking at conferences and such. But I've always felt like if I were to just advertise myself as Nolan's a cold fusion developer, I might still be employed as a consultant, but I probably sure. wouldn't be making as much money as I would explore other projects and other tech stacks. And the work wouldn't be as interesting just because right. not every tech startup doing something super exciting is using CFML necessarily to do that. Some <laughs> of them are, but a lot of it's like government work or state agencies and kind of older, more established applications in that world. So I definitely have done a chunk of that over the years, but yeah, I've worked just, on just shy of COBOL. Right. I've done C++, Java. I've taught Ruby on Rails classes, Android development. It's kind of been a, a mix of whatever cool. is going on. I think a big part of being a successful consultant, especially these days, is figure it out. So you just yeah. have to mm -hmm. kind of learn whatever the new thing is and not worry too much about like, I don't know that JavaScript framework. Like, well, you don't know it now, but You're I'm sure learn. there are 50 YouTube yeah. videos on it. You yeah. can figure it out by tomorrow if you have to. And So when you say classes, it's typically where a company's like, hey, we, we've got you know five programmers. We wanted you to come in and teach them soup to nuts about X framework. Some of it's been that. Some of it's been, yeah, teams of developers that need to know a new technology being considered for their environment. Sometimes it's been marketing teams that want to learn how to run their own analytics against the database. So they need someone to come in and teach them basic SQL skills for a couple of days. So oh. I've, done, I've done that several times. There's, yeah, there's a lot of work. Yeah. It is fun. Yeah. Because you get different kinds of questions and you get from developers. I've done several of those sorts of things. Sometimes it's the companies that will contact me directly and ask and do things like that. Like come teach our marketing team and our sales folks SQL. Sometimes it's dev teams. A lot of the work has been partnering with the training companies here in California. And what I've learned is a lot of the training companies that advertise, we teach classes on Java and jQuery and Angular and React and all these other things. They don't actually employ people full-time to teach those classes very often. They advertise that they have a class. And then when they get enough students signed up to run it, they contact someone like myself that they know that can provide that service. And then I come in and teach the class for them for a couple of days as a contractor. And Very interesting. Um, so I partnered with a lot of training outfits over the years, too, to do that sort of thing. That's a good one. I hadn't even considered that. That yeah. has not crossed my radar yet as a possibility yeah. of, of other revenue That's options. That's been a big chunk of the revenue over the years. I've been yeah, teaching the, usually they're between one and five day long workshops, depending on what they're covering. And if you enjoy teaching, it's, it's fun. One of the things that I think often developers get maybe confused about is they think, oh, I've been writing code for 20 years. Therefore, I am qualified to teach other people how to write code. Oh, and writing no. code and teaching code, very, very different skills. Some people yeah. have both, but some people just don't. And that's fine. Some people can be fantastic programmers, but hopefully those people understand when you know their skill stops at writing code and their skill of explaining it to non-technical people is you know an entirely separate thing that yeah. has its own ramp up and its own learning curve. And I see, we, we've all seen that happen at conferences too, where there'll be somebody mm -hmm. on stage Absolutely. that clearly doesn't actually explain these concepts to non-technical humans very often. And it's that problem just amplified over four or five days and it gets really bad. Yeah, you can tell they're brilliant, but they, they are just doing a terrible job of explaining it to you. Yeah, exactly. Can, can we just back up for a second? So Carol recently had a life-changing event, so to speak, and, and is now considering going into consulting. You say you've been doing this, you know, come on 15 years now. I, I assume you were a full-time employee of some sort previous to that. How, how did you make the leap? What was, what was the thing that, that what was the uh, impetus here? I was. So yeah, I worked at a couple of 
traditional brick and mortar companies for a while. Did not feel like I was a good fit for either one of them. I was working at a credit union, had an uncle that was kind of a bigwig in the semiconductor industry at the time. And he had an idea for an app he wanted to sell to semiconductor companies, but he doesn't write code. So he said, quit your job, I'll match your salary. If you can design and build this app for me, you can just work from your spare bedroom. We'll build the app and, and ship it and that'll be your job. And then, okay, That's cool. Awesome. So I quit my job. Yeah, so I did have kind of a an easier time jumping out of full-time employment land with all the benefits into full-time freelancing because I had this like buffer area mm-hmm. thing in the middle where it's like, okay, I'm a one-person shop, but I'm working for my uncle. So I trust him enough to take right. this leap, <laughs> which did help give me a, a bit of a stepping stone in that direction. But the goal was never, and this will be my launch pad to become a freelancer. It was just, I would rather work for my uncle than this terrible company I don't like working for. Did that for almost two years. He ended up pulling the plug on the project. He and his business partner had a disagreement and they just dissolved the idea before we finished. But by then I'd been working at home by myself for a, a decent amount of time. And I thought, I, I kind of like this idea. Maybe this is something I could continue, continue doing. Uh, so I shot some emails out to different contacts I had and said, I'm thinking about doing a consulting thing. If you know of anyone who needs help with a project of some sort, please keep me in mind. And then I just started saying yes to everything that showed up. <laughs> One of the first emails I got was an old coworker of mine said, hey, I'm working at this place up in Rockland now. We're making video chat software for the deaf community. Want to come write some Cold Fusion and some C Sharp? Sure. And then about a day later, another colleague wrote me and said, I teach classes at this training outfit in town. They need another developer to teach the technical classes like the jQuery and the SQL and that sort of stuff. Want me to introduce you so you can teach classes? You betcha. And so I said yes to that too. And that just kind of became the way Things went from there. I just kept saying yes to every project that showed up. And it's been almost 15 years now, and I'm still kind of going with that mentality on things. And it's working, knock on wood. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I haven't pushed anywhere. Like I haven't been like, oh, I just changed my status on LinkedIn the day we got everybody got let go. And it wasn't to find work. It was more of to build a community because they did cut two thirds of the people, right? So it was just have open conversations with coworkers who I didn't know if they were still employed or not. But from that, I have just gotten pinged and pinged and pinged with, do you want to work on this? Like, we have opportunities for this. Like, are you available? And my aunt, I've not told anyone no yet. The answer has been, okay, I'm taking a little breather because I want to clear my head and I really want to like mentally be prepared to start this new journey. And I have legal things to figure out like taxes. You know, how the heck do you handle taxes? Like, that's been a fun one. And like, what software do I want to use to manage like projects and manage my time? And there are things I want to figure out. But the answer is going to be, like you said, my plan is to pretty much say yes to anything I think I'm qualified to do. I don't want to put anyone's project in jeopardy. So I wouldn't want to say yes to something that I don't know pretty well. So I'm not going to pick up a new language right now, but I would definitely pick up any type of like organizational type help or any cold fusion help or any C sharp .NET type work, like all of that would be fine. So I've just been super impressed with the community that we're a part of with people reaching out going, Hey, want to work on this? Want to look at this? Like maybe it's only a few weeks. Maybe we'll keep you a year. Like it's whatever you want. Can I drill into something there for a second? Cause Carol said that she doesn't want to take a job if she thinks that it's not going to end well, right? She doesn't want to put anybody in a bad situation. As a full-time employee, I often take the mindset that I'm being paid to figure it out, even if I don't know what's going on. And in that context, I suffer from a tremendous amount of imposter syndrome. And I have, you know, I'm like dog at the keyboard. I have no idea what I'm doing. As a consultant, I almost feel like that imposter syndrome mentality would be amplified because 
like, I would imagine it's like you're not being brought in to figure things out. You're the guy being brought in because you know how it should be done. And I think that that's probably not the right mentality. How do you how do you balance that? And that is my fear, by the way. Totally. Sure. That's that's and that's fair, too. So I guess a couple of thoughts on that one is if you get a bad feeling about a project, whether it's because you don't know enough about the stack or something else, it is always okay to say no to a project and and turn it down. You know, the imposter syndrome thing definitely happens a lot in different cases. I would say this sounds kind of like a smart aleck response, but I don't mean it that way. Basic poker skills have been a big help Mm -hmm. in doing that over the years, too, of like, I can absolutely do this for you. Yep, you no problem. And like on the other screen while I'm talking to them, I'm like Googling links to like, okay, I got to learn how to do this thing by Monday when I'll be there and I do stuff. I try not to make that the case as a regular way of, of running my business. But the reality is like projects these days have so many different pieces of technology in them. It's yeah. not likely that you're going to know all 10 out of 10 no. things they have at an expert level. You're going to know five, six, seven of them and have heard of the other three and be kind of familiar with one or two of them. Like that's just going to be the way it is, especially with like even just in like Angular, they come up with a new version of Angular every what six months. <laughs> you can't keep up on things at an expert level when the cadence of you know is that quick. It just it's not possible. So um, there absolutely is you know a point where imposter syndrome comes up. There's a point where we have to kind of balance which parts of the imposter syndrome are real and relate to things like okay, this is a hole in my skill set right now that I do have to solve because I'm getting asked about technology XYZ a lot more frequently than I was last year and I still don't know a lot about technology XYZ. Personally, I like to try to tie those into like new year resolutions and things. So I have an actual rather than making my new year resolutions, I will balance my checkbook or I will be a better person, make it a tangible thing like an annual job review would be. Like if my if I had a regular day job, my boss would say, "Okay, by the end of next year, I want you to be more proficient in React or whatever. That's well, then I would smart. come up with a real project to do that year, even if it's a, just a personal thing that I put out on my own GitHub repo, and that's all it ever does. Mm-hmm. But if it's enough to where like I made a real thing and put it out into the world using React, Vue, SQL, whatever the thing is, like okay, I now have a basic understanding of that enough to where I shipped a thing, even if you want to put shipped in air quotes. I'm a little bit more comfortable than you know looking at projects that might have that be part of their their stack. Yeah. But yeah, so imposter syndrome has absolutely been. A thing over the years too, especially when clients get more and more stressed or when they're, mm-hmm. you know, anxious about something, if a project is going long or if there's been some curveball thrown at it. Right. Um, like they've had staff change and now the people who knew it are gone. I've ran yeah. into that. That's what oh, one totally. of my friends asked. She was like, the two people that were, were writing this for us just walked out. And I was yeah, like, I've, Ooh. I've had some of that happen as well too. Yeah. Or, or the, and the, I've had it happen where the previous development team lied about what the, app did or which parts of it they'd finished. And then that developer literally vanished and moved to the other side of the planet somewhere never to be found again. And now I'm on the hook for how do I explain to a non-technical client, here's what the last developer did, even though they told you they did 300 times that. Yeah, you can have, you know, rough situations (laughs) explaining that to different people. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I've had, you know, as much as I have very much enjoyed being a consultant for 15 years, it has not all been perfect. There have been projects that have gone very, very sideways here and there over the years and hopefully well, they, use those as a learning experience. But they still pay you, right? Hopefully if you have a good contract in place and <laughs> I've made that, that mistake before too. I don't make it anymore, but yeah, that was yeah, the other yeah. thing, like that, that's, lawyer stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a great segue because I wanted to go back. I want to kind of turn over this rock here. So if you're going to jump in the pool, I'm using too many metaphors. If you're going <laughs> to turn over this rock of, of throw it in the uh, pool. yeah, turn the rock over into the pool, uh, starting to freelance consult sort of thing. 
you know, you've already figured out that you need, especially with your multiple state of residency, working in other states sort of thing, you've already figured out that you need somebody to help you out with taxes and accounting. I think it's probably true that you're going to want like a lawyer to help you out on a, on a, like a as needed basis. Are there other things that, that you should be looking for, Nolan? I think a good accountant is an easy check to cut every year. My accountant could call me up tomorrow and say he is doubling his fee and I would still blindly cut him that check every year without question. <laughs> does, does he listen to this podcast? <laughs> I, you know what, Tim? I, I honestly don't care. He could, honest, he could honestly call me up and say I'm doubling my fee and go, okay, because it makes all of my tax worries go away. I hand right. him a spreadsheet with, here's the expenses, categorize the way you need them. Here's my stack of other paperwork you want. He calls me in about a week and says, it's done. Come pick it up. And I pick it up yeah. and it's completely idiot proof. Sign here, sign here, send this much to the state, send this much to the feds. Here's your statements for your quarterlies next year. See you in 12 months. Yeah. It's worth every penny having a good accountant, a good lawyer when you need one. Yeah. Yeah. My father-in-law gave me the name of a good accountant that he was using that specializes. Like the thing he loves working on is IT software companies and he loves working with startups. So he likes to work with IT companies and he likes to work with startups. So when I saw his bio, I was like, okay, this guy's perfect for me. So of course he's like, yeah, he's like, just whenever you get ready to go to a state, what we'll do is we'll go research that state for you. We'll figure out like how you need to handle your tax for that state. We'll figure out everything for if you're in Georgia or Arizona, because I'm also a resident of Washington. So it's a whole thing because my husband's in the military. So he's like, we'll handle all that for you. I'm like, done. And the exact same thing that you said, I'm like, I don't really care the cost because ultimately I'm going to put that cost back into an expense to run what I'm considering is my business. And it's what I need to do my job. And it has to be there because I can't do that. And I don't want to be penalized for doing this work and lose more money to the government. Pass. Totally. Well, can an accountant, is an accountant the person who will help you figure out things like, setting aside a room and like what percentage of square footage is, is for business and like how much of my internet is for the business and all that kind of stuff is the accountant. They know how that's the kind of stuff they know. Yeah. They know how to do that. So I, I send my accountant all of the monthly expenses. So here's how much per month my health insurance is, my dental insurance. A fun fact, you have to pay for your own insurance when you're a consultant, unless you get a three-year significant other. I send him, yeah, all the bills for internet, business meals, flight travel, hotel, blah, blah, blah. I also send him the square footage of the rooms in my house that are dedicated for work stuff. It has to be a dedicated space. You can't just throw a laptop on your kitchen table and call your kitchen the office. It's got to be like, I have allocated half of this room or my garage or something to it. Yeah, I sent him square footage of those rooms too. And then that factors into how much of the rent gets taken off as a work expense. And they just figure it out. He gets very, very little paperwork from me. He asks mm-hmm. very, very few questions. Nice. The guy goes away for a week and calls me and says, it's done. Come pick up your stuff. Go from there. So so along the lines of financials, how do you come up with your pricing? That's always the question I get asked when I do these kind of interview things. So the way I would approach that for people that are new to freelancing is I'm going to sort of defer that answer to somebody else. There's a book called The Business Side of Creativity. Fantastic book for people that want to become freelancers. It answers all of the basic questions like how should I start? How much should I start charging? What do I do when clients balk at that price and say, that's too expensive? How do I respond to those kind of questions? What kind of expenses do I need to keep track of? How do I deal with promotion and all the other things about starting your own business? The Business Side of Creativity, fantastic book for starting that stuff out. The content in the book is tailored for people that do graphic design work. 
but just throw out the sentences that say posters and brochures and mentally replace those with web development and all the content is still pretty much accurate. Mm -hmm. So I would start with that for people brand new to this. Once you've been going in the freelancing world for a while, I found that I just, I deal with other consultants regularly enough and I deal with other companies, you know, dealing that hire consultants. You kind of get a feel for what the competitors and what the marketers charging and you kind of get an idea for like, okay, people that do what I do plus these other items can charge, you know, what I charge plus 10 bucks an hour or companies that deal with these sorts of clients can charge a little bit more for whatever reason. If I have, you know, it's kind of, there's not a flat dollar amount. I would say every consultant on the planet charges, you know, X dollars an hour. I'm, I'm deliberately being vague because I don't want to have somebody hear me say this dollar amount. <laughs> yeah, and go, that's what I'm going to charge. Like that's, yeah. that's not quite how it works. Like my rate has definitely gone up over the years and how I've gotten I, better. I've gotten, Hopefully, yeah, I've gotten better. Just more experienced at knowing when I've screwed things up. And then you can use that info to deal with other things. And even in fact, in fact, currently, I don't have a flat rate that I charge every client. I kind of look at them on a case-by-case basis and go, okay, this is a medical university. They're going to probably have a bigger budget and have more overhead and bureaucracy I have to deal with than Joe Schmo down the street that has a mom and pop website somebody built him 10 years ago and it's four pages and they just need someone to come in and fix the typos and go away. Like, yep. I will probably cut the pizza joint down the street a better rate than, you know. Same. Yeah. Yeah. When I was when I was working on my hourly rate, that was some of the stuff I put in there because my husband and I sat and kind of looked at it and was like, okay, this makes sense. Like when I'm adding on to like a big government project, then you know that's going to be a higher rate because you right. have some access to what that that contract gets currently. But then when, like you said, like if you know the band calls me and says, "Hey, can you help us just update our website?" I'm going to be like, "Sure, just you know." Here, I'm going to do it like for almost nothing just because I really want to see you succeed. And it's more of an investment into someone I know or something local and helping my community. Whereas it's not so much about making money for my family for something small like that. The other thing I'll often do too is if it's an agency of some sort that calls because they want to subcontract work to me, I'll cut them a better break because I know they're going to mark my dollar amount up in their bid to the actual client. I don't want my dollar amount to be a deciding factor in whether or not I'm going to be on the project or not. So I'll, I'll give them a little bit of a break on that. Also, because agencies are likely to have more work in the future. If this goes really, yep. really well, this one project might be at, you know, 85% of my normal rate. But if they can bring me four more projects over the course of the year, that's less legwork I have to do to promote myself and go find more, yep. more revenue. So yeah, you just like in, in my head, I consider that like a finder's fee. So yeah, totally. I'm willing to pay that finder's fee for you right. to do it. Exactly. But if you do have to go looking for more work, how do you do that? Where where do you look? I network my butt off is the short answer of it. I am I speak at every conference I can. I say yes to speak at every tech meetup I can. I try to blog periodically about different things. Any chance I get to record a, a video about how to do something, anything that could be spread out to more than one human, I do that any chance I, I can. I also do standard like end of the year promo stuff. A couple of you, you know, like I so I'm a big music nerd. I'm that's my drug of choice, as I like to say. Every year instead of Christmas cards. I make holiday mix CDs, like into the, you know, just a disc of here's music that I think came out this year that I think people would enjoy. And I throw my business card in there and I send those out to people. And I send them to everyone, like friends, colleagues, people I've spoken at conferences with. Um, It's kind of a variety of people. Yep. Carol gets one. Tim Mm -hmm. gets one. Adam and Ben, send me your address. I'll put you on the list for this year. (laughs) This year's was excellent. Thank you. It was really, really good. It was Um, excellent this year. And uh, that, that has been the biggest best promo thing I could ever possibly have done. And it never started that way. It was just a way to keep in touch with friends and family over the years as I've met them. Like, oh, I'll send music instead of sending 
a card that just says happy holidays that I know everyone is going to throw out two seconds after they read it. And that's ended up being a thing where like pretty regularly people will call me in May, June, August, nowhere near the holidays and go, <laughs> I was at my desk and saw your mix CD sit on the desk. And I went, oh, that's right. Nolan builds web apps. I have a project for you. You got a second to talk? Sure. And every year that works really well. So like, I, awesome. I promote and network as much as I possibly can. And that's been a big, big factor in getting projects to come in the door. Do you often work in, in blocks of time or is it, is it like an hourly rate or like, well, I'll sell you 10, 10 hour increments and you got to do like half up front kind of stuff. I mean, what's the, what's the so gamut there? Usually it's an hourly rate. Often okay. clients that are a little more concerned about their budgets will say, oh, I want a flat rate on things. And so I'll usually write up a contract that says something like, okay, if you have requirements written up front that are correct. I'll come up with a, a fixed number for you. And depending on the size of that project, it might be a thing where like, let's cut that fixed number up into three chunks. You pay me at the beginning, the middle, and the end. So I have some good faith money coming in so I can keep the lights on and that sort of thing. What I also usually tell them and put in the contract is, if it turns out that these requirements are not correct, we're going to kick back over to time and materials. Here's my hourly rate for when that happens. And almost always it kicks back over to time and materials. Every time, right? I've had one or two that were like, Kind of small, just retheming websites, basically. I'm like, okay, this one I'll just do for the flat rate, and that's all you need. Cool. Then here's what I want. Pay me half now and half when I'm done. And one of those went really well. One of those went really badly. Every contract <laughs> since then has been, if we have to make significant changes to your requirements, I'm switching to time and materials at this rate, and that's just the way it's going to be. What I'll usually tell people, too, like if they have an existing website or web app, rather, usually, that they don't know how much it's going to take to, you know, we have to add these features. We have to fix these bugs. Our developer left. We can't get a hold of them. How many hours do you think it will be? Often I'll tell the clients in that situation, well, let's start with like a maybe a four or six hour discovery block and say, I'm going to bill you my regular rate for six hours. And at the end of six hours, if I can fix your bug or fix the issue or whatever in less than that, I'll bill you for whatever time it took and we're, we're done. So if I, you know, if you say we have this crazy bug on our app, we can't fix it. We don't know what's wrong. I'll say, okay, let's block off six hours of time. And if it only takes me two and a half hours to fix it, I'll bill you for two and a half hours right? and we're, we're finished. If I get to the six hour point and I'm not done, what I'll do is I'll stop and write up my findings and go, okay, here's what you've paid for for six hours. I think it's one of these th things here. Here's my you know recommendations of what you should do next. And then I hand those notes over to the client because they've paid for that information. That was the six, what the six hours bought them. And if they want to hire me to finish what I told them, they have the right to do that if they want. And if they want to just take the info that I wrote up for them and kick it to somebody cheaper or whatever, they could also do that. And usually that works really well because that four or six hour discovery period builds a relationship with the client. I almost never have them take that info and go, thanks, see you later. We're going to hire somebody overseas for 10 bucks a day to do it. They always <laughs> right. go, cool, Nolan knows what he's talking about. I trust this person's information. Yeah. Please go ahead and continue the next part of the project. So things, yeah, things like that are usually how I come up with the rate for projects. And then the teaching gigs are usually a flat rate per day per number of students in the room. So if it's like, come here and teach, this room of people, you know, Angular JS for two days. I go, okay, how many people are in the room? And then it's usually in like chunks of five, up to five students, I'll do it for X. If it's six to 10, I'll do it for X plus this, 11 to 15, that plus Y. Because the more people in the room, the more questions there are to field, the more technical issues there might be with laptops not connecting to the internet sure. and other stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, Adam recently did a Taffy workshop and he had tried to, for, forgive me if this is, I don't want to share on your behalf here, but one of the, things that he was attempting to do, or one of the options was that he was willing to give them a discounted price 
if he could then was it recorded and then posted as like training materials was that what I was we were? Uh, yeah I was exploring a lot of different options I did record it with their permission I didn't ever do anything with the recording because I just it didn't go the way that I would have wanted it to go for a recording I think what you're thinking of though is that I gave them the price and I said and if you're willing to share the experience because at the it was three people from this company that wanted the workshop and i said you know if you're willing to make it not just your company and not just about your stuff your problems and you want to make this more of a general workshop and you can help me find other people to take the workshop then i will you know reduce your ticket price right so instead of paying 800 dollars a seat oh, you know, for every person that you help get me to to sign up i'll, I'll lower it by a hundred dollars a seat or something like that right so the, they and they were like no we don't internal. want to do that just we'll just pay the full price yeah, because then they have you to come in and troubleshoot too, like to go through their actual problems. Right. So, well, I, I wanted to ask you, Nolan, you've talked a lot about, you know, communicating requirements and expectations with your clients. Do you have specific tools that you like to do this or do you just use like, let's email spreadsheets back and forth for all of eternity? I try to avoid the companies that still email everything back and forth. Yeah. So if they have a system set up of theirs already, then I'll just jump in and use whatever their their system is. For projects that I'm doing more of the project management part of the responsibilities as well. If it's a very technical project, we're starting to use Jira in my team to do that sort of thing. And for things not as technical and maybe not quite specifically tied to like branches in GitHub, I'll use Asana pretty often for, for collaboration projects. Yeah. I like Asana except for one thing, the, pro the tasks don't have numbers. And that was the biggest factor in why we need to use Jira for technical things is because I want to be able to call my dev team mm -hmm. and go, where are you at on 345? Where are you at yeah. with ticket 502? And I want to make branches that are 502 underscore Toast. fixed save bug yep. issue. Mm -hmm. 507 underscore user profile thing. You know, So that's that was the big... I was on Asana exclusively for a long time. My previous office manager loved it and set us all up with it. And uh, we just kind of kept going with it for a while. And actually within the last month, I finally just... I'm on a project right now with a big enough team. It was getting really, really tough tracking down who worked on which code and which branches correlated to which tickets. So I just finally drew the line in the sand and said, you know what, we're switching to Jira. I tried a number of Asana stopgaps, like using Zapier and if this, then that, to try to automatically rename Asana tasks so they have a number at the front. It wouldn't work. So either Jira or Asana for the project as a whole. And then for my own personal day-to-day -day stuff, I use Todoist. Oh, yeah. It's a nice little to-do app. Mm -hmm. It does a lot of the same kind of things. You can categorize your... Your tasks, you can break them up into projects and sub-projects and sub-tasks and all that sort of stuff. And it's really nice because I get to have one screen I look at that'll combine all of the stuff I have to do today from however many projects there are into one specific view. And I can prioritize those things. And then it just gives me like a nice little focused list of stuff I have to do today, even if it spans across three clients and some internal stuff and a meeting with my accountant and walking the dogs. Like I just get my checklist of here's what I do. and and then I just kind of copy and paste the parts of that that I need to back into Asana or Jira as needed. T totally random thing that just popped into my head. Do you have a, if, if for no other reason, separating costs, do you have a business credit card that like you do all your business transacting on and then personal credit cards for everything else? So I didn't for the longest time because I was a sole proprietor and lived by myself. And it was just easiest to have one bank account, one everything. And that's where mm -hmm. it was. And now that there are other humans that live with me and other bank accounts involved. I'm in the process now of separating out all the work, all the consulting stuff is going to be in one bank account and all the personal day-to-day -day life stuff lives separately. And when I'm, yeah. So when I'm by myself, it was fine. But with, as life got more complex, that, that had to be separated out a little better. How do you manage the amount of work you got coming in? I'm sure, you know, 
having once been self-employed, it's like, I wanted to make sure it was constant, right. And continuous, but you know, but then I didn't want to overcommit and then fall behind. And then I didn't want lags or I'm like struggling to try to find work. So how, how do you manage that flow? That is sometimes a, a challenge. I often panic when it looks like there's going to be a lull in the work and scramble. And I start hitting up my trusted resources for, you know, where can I find another project? Like if the training companies that I've done work with, I'll, I'll send them a reminder message. Hey, remember me? I'm still around. Got anything coming up that you need help with? Or the agencies I've done work with, I'll shoot them a message like, hey, want to go grab tacos next week and, you know, see what your project load looks like. And, and I'll send those Christmas mix CDs every year. And just little things to like remind the entities that I deal with, hey, I'm still around and available for consulting work. That works pretty often to bring the lulls back up to a level where my, you know, heart is not beating at a high rate and causing problems. On the other side, when I have a lot of work coming in and you know, not enough hours in the day to do it. I'm fortunate enough that I've been doing this a long time now. I know other people that do similar types of consulting work and have their own similar sole proprietor businesses will often split projects together that way. And so when that happens, like my consultancy is called South of Shasta. So when I have a project that requires maybe two or three people, I'll call other people that run developer consultancies and just say, can I just umbrella you under South of Shasta for the next three, six months, whatever, and let's split this project together. And that works quite well too. So I don't bring in as much money personally that way, but the project gets done and it keeps us both employed for, you know, however long. Yeah. Last thing you want to do is start turning work away, right? I mean, people will be like, oh, we, we tried to use Nolan last time, but he was too busy. He's probably too, too busy now, right? So yeah, you, you want to say yes. Kind of yes, avoid that if you can. Bring, like, yeah, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, so totally. so better, to have, better to have too much to do and then kind of outsource some of it than it is to have not enough. I think so. I've always kind of, in just in life, have a lot on my plate. I don't like sitting still very much. And so it, I feel more normal when I have several projects going at one time anyhow. So for me, that works pretty well. Yeah. Then on the flip side, how do you schedule vacation? Vacations are challenging. What I've done the few times I have taken vacations is I'll try to piggyback it onto dates that I know the clients are also not going to be in the office. Thanksgiving week works really well because yeah. everyone's out Thursday and probably Friday. I can take Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off and get like a good nine day chunk of time where no one really cares all that much that I'm out. And then the same thing too of splitting work with other consultants. Several of the people I split work with live in Europe. They don't celebrate Thanksgiving there. Makes it really easy to take US holidays off and still have staff that I trust that are going to come in and put out fires if something happens while I'm out of town. I also try to give my clients a lot of heads up when those dates are coming up. I let them know I'm going to be out this week. I'm going to be out, you know, Brief reminder, I'm going to be out. Another brief reminder, I'm going to be out, you know, coming up on these days. And uh, yeah, it's not quite as easy as just clicking a PTO button on the company intranet and <laughs> being done. But it's possible. I had one client several years ago that he wanted to be able to call me 24-7 whether I was on vacation or not. And early on, I let him get away with it because I didn't really know any better. And then as time went on, I finally told him like, no, you'll be you'll be all right. You know, it, you'll be okay if you don't have have me on speed dial for two or three days. I'll talk to you next week. And that worked fine for however long it was that we continued working on projects together. Have you ever had to like fire a client? Like you've, you're just a nightmare to work for. I don't want to work for you anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had clients that are just, sure. I've had amazing clients. I've had clients that went sideways in every possible, you know, version you can think of. I had one client that started out really, really well and they just got more and more demanding for no real good reason either. I was getting blamed for things that were not my fault. I was getting accused of You've changed something on the website. I have not. And here's the GitHub report <laughs> yeah, proving I have true. not done it. Yeah. But because he was not technical enough to quite know what that was, 
I was talking to McCall's like, no, the, the site's not working. Like, okay, I assure you it was not me. What else <laughs> happened? And eventually I kind of got tired of that guy and I just told him, I think you need to find another consultancy to, to do your work. Yeah, I've absolutely told clients no or no longer, you know, a couple of times over the, over the years. So when you're looking at new companies to go work with or new clients, are there any big red flags that you see when you're vetting someone? You're like, oh, that's a red flag. We're going to go ahead and pass on that. Yeah, I guess so. There are, and the red flags probably vary a little bit depending on how much other work I have coming in at that point in time too. Like I personally like working for smaller outfits where I feel like I can make more of a difference. So smaller design agencies and tech startups and things like that are just more fun to work for than giant state contracts for my my personal, you know, preferences. But the more corporate outfits also probably have money in the bank. And so they're easier to make sure you get paid from the universities and the medical outfits and such than it is from the mom and pop company down the street that, you know, they're they kind of have a paid when paid relationship with some other agency they're waiting to get paid on from. And so yeah, really it's it's been a little bit of everything. This might be kind of a, t- a sideways comment, but Adam and I were we're sharing a thought in a, in the Google Doc here. There's a presentation from like, you know, it's got to be like a million years, years ago. ago. Yeah, and excuse the the quack fest that will, is about to happen. But the the name of the presentation is "Quack You Pay Me." Has anyone ever seen that? I remember hearing about it. Yeah, it's like it's it's basically like a bunch of punchlines where the client is constantly asking for random stuff, extension stuff, and the guy's response is always like "Quack You Pay Me." And just how hard it is sometimes to get what you're owed from your clients. So one thing I learned the hard way is every client signs a contract before work gets Mm. done. I've done websites for my uncle, who I've known my entire life, how I've spent dozens and dozens of holidays with over the years. (laughs) And when he called two years ago and said, want to build a website for this company working for? I said, you betcha, here is a contract. Yeah. Yep. And it wasn't nice. even a big website. It was like a brochure where five page thing. He got it. He wasn't offended or anything. He's like, sure, just paperwork. Here you go and sign it and brought it back and do it. And that worked, and that worked fine. I had a client several years ago. They referred to me from another agency and said, you guys, do you want to do this work for them? Nolan, they're not a good fit for us. Sure. They started out as the model client. Every conversation I had with them on the phone, the nicest people ever. They'd fly me out to their office. Nolan, would you like us to pick you up from the airport and drive you into the the office. Wow. Sure. Like, want to go to lunch today? Sure. Can we pray for you at lunch? Lord, thank you for bringing us Nolan. Literally doing these things when I'm out there visiting them. Right. Signed every invoice, took every recommendation I had. This went on for a good three, four years. Like, perfect. And they called me up one day and, and I was babysitting three like legacy web apps. Somebody else had built them, just kind of doing patch and fix work for them. They called me up one day and said, we have an investor. We want to delete all three of our legacy apps and build three brand new ones with the latest and greatest cutting edge web tech on everything and a mobile app that talks to all three of them too. And I told them about all the pros and cons of like, here's reasons maybe you should not delete everything and start over. They said, nope, we, we understand. Do it anyway. Hire people. We want to get rolling on this. Hire people. I thought, okay, I hung up the phone. They called back the next day and said, have you hired anyone yet? I'm like, no, it's been a day. I'm like, no, seriously, hire, get rolling on this. We've got to get going on this. They'd been a model client for three years just doing patch and fix work. It never occurred to me in that conversation to make them sign a new contract. Mm. I called three of the best consultants I know and said, clear your schedules for six months. I've got a dream project for us. This is going to be rad. And the guy calls me back like a week later. I I booked everyone. And uh, the guy calls me back a week later and says, we just signed a deal with Coca-Cola. I'm like, that's awesome. He goes, yeah, they already have a web app that does everything yours was going to do. So 
Never mind. Jeez. Oh, and no. just the wind fell out of my sails. I, my heart sank. Every I bad cried. feeling you can think of happened. And I said, call the guy back and begged and pleaded professionally in every way I can think of, of like, I've staked my reputation on this. I've told multiple people to clear their schedules. I'm on the hook for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like my reputation is online, my business is online. How do we make this right? Come on, you've been a really, really good client for years. How do we do this? And he, every time they talked to him, he went, it, it's just business. He said, I'll pray for you. He, yeah. wouldn't, he wouldn't budge. Yeah. He would not budge the least on this thing. And like, it, it killed me. I'm like, you're, you're dry. there's nothing really. And he went, well, if you want to set up a backup process to make archives of our existing servers so that that gets back up to the cloud somewhere so we can take it offline, we can have you do that for a couple of days. But that's all that we don't have any more work. It's wow. just business. So I paid my team. I drained a bank account to do it, but I kept oh. my reputation and business intact. Right. So, but these guys are like, okay, they're, they're never going to be a client again. They're going to leave. Right. They're but done. from that point forward, my paperwork got thoroughly detailed and every project, whether I'm teaching you for a, a half day workshop or building, you know, the next Microsoft.com or whatever, like you're signing paperwork before <laughs> I'm doing anything. Fun, fun story about that client real quick, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, go. Of course, so they, sure. I did their backup thing and got their backup server set up like here. It was still a public facing intranet app that they just kicked off to the side and let it sit there in case they needed something off of it. Meanwhile, they're using this, whatever the Coca-Cola thing was. So months and months later, he calls me up and goes, hey, that server you used to maintain for us is doing something weird. Do you want to log in and fix it? And I wrote him back and said, I'm, I'm, well, first I wrote him back and said, no, go find somebody else. And he come, came back a couple months later and said, no, no, we really need to fix it. I said, here's a contract for a one day rate of not a terrible amount of money, but, but enough to make it worth my time to drop everything for a day and help this guy out. Right. And he it was like maybe $1,500. And he wrote back and he's like, oh, how about eight hours? Huh? How about two hours? I'm like, no, I'm not <laughs> negotiating with you about this. This is the rate. If you want me for a day, this is what it's going to take. And he went away and he tried again a few weeks later. How about three and a half hours? Like, no, this is the rate. If you want me for a day, this is what it's going to take. Talk to somebody else if you want to. I kept, I kept trying to get him to go away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So finally he calls, he finally, he signs a contract and says, okay, please spend one day looking at our server and figuring out why it's acting funny. And the info he gave me made it really, really sound like either his SSL cert expired or maybe the cold fusion service had crashed and he just didn't know how to reboot it. So I thought, all right, <laughs> worst case, I'm going to spend an hour or two of my day installing a new SSL cert, rebooting the server, doing a little bit of debug, you know, R&D, and I'll be out of here. I logged onto his server and found that they had been hacked and everything was encrypted. Oh, it was no. all being held for ransomware. Oh, oh, all no. of it. So I contacted the guy and said, I've logged into your server. I have some bad news. Here's the situation. The hackers want, I think it was $2,500 by Friday, or they're going to keep everything. Or it's going to go up to $5,000 after that. And so there's your info. You know, thanks for the, and I made him pay me up front. So I got my check. And then I delivered this news. Before I got paid before I knew that was the problem. So there's right. clarity there. And he's like, oh my God, really? Like, oh, what do you want to do? And like, I think you need to call the FBI and you need to call your insurance company. And you might need to put a press release out saying all your data has been compromised based oh on whatever, you know, you know, he's like, oh man, can you triage that for us? And can you help like talk to the IRS and talk, or talk to the FBI and talk to like, yes, I can. Here is my contract. Yep. Here's your new contract. <laughs> and yeah. it was exactly. And it was Great. the most money I have ever charged anyone in my life by a decent margin 
And it was, oh, by the way, you have to pay me in advance before I'll do anything for you. Like, oh, yeah, really? Oh, fantastic. how about, can you give me a better rate? No. And I got to tell him it's just business. I'm like, nope, yeah. here. So <laughs> that part, that kind of made it worth it when the, the, the crazy mess happened beforehand. But oh, um, I was very fortunate that he was unfortunate later. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes when I have screwed up, it's just been, I screwed up and I cost myself time and money or, you know, the project went south or whatever. Karma, yo. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. That was that was a fantastic way to finish it up. I don't know if anybody has any other great. No, you can't top that. Yeah, (laughs) you can't top that. All right. Well, Nolan, I don't know if you have time or if you knew this. We also are gonna go record our after show after this, which is so the patrons of the show get to stick around and listen to us babble about any old thing. Yeah, I'm down. Awesome. Can we start with telling people how they can find Nolan? Sure. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah. Who is this guy? So they can find my consultancy stuff at southofshasta.com. South, like the compass direction of Shasta, like Mount Shasta. I'm also on Twitter at South of Shasta and Facebook. And then if they want to find my personal stuff, I'm at nolanirk.com. And I'm also on Twitter at at nolanirk. And we will put links to all of those things in the show notes. Cool. All right. So as alluded to, we're going to go record our after show. Tonight on the after show, Carol's going to tell us how her 24 hour steak or beef butt thing turned out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just start mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. Spoiler I alert. Like beef butt. <laughs> and, well, hey, it can't be any worse than your stuff, Tim. And <laughs> my snake. <laughs> and since Carol got her free hour of consulting, I wanted to talk to Nolan about doing workshops. So I want my pound of flesh. Anyway, so this episode of Working Code is brought to you by turning rocks over into pools. It's the best way to find scorpions, snakes, lawyers, and accountants. <laughs> and listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. Special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. Uh, if you'd like to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash workingcodepod. Your homework this week, I am going to ask you to leave us a review. Go to workingcode.dev slash review. That will take you to the Apple Podcasts review thing for your locality. So you can leave it in your home language. I know we have a lot of international listeners and that's I think that's awesome. And so, yeah, leave us a review. We would really appreciate that. And apparently it's supposed to help with the algorithms and stuff. So. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember your heart matters. It's just business, but your heart matters. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.